Political Unmuted is a weekly politics show based in the northeast of England. The audience chooses the topics and we discuss them. So enjoy Political Unmuted. Hello everyone, we're having our usual technical nightmares. John, are you with us? Sort of. We're all in the wrong places. I, so I, like... I'm with you for the moment. Um... <laughs> literally, literally just... My internet connection is unstable, Sam. <laughs> um, so... Um, uh... The um, and, and you all just keep freezing. I think to give give up on this one. Um, if I can explain to the listeners, if if I'm uh, going to be hearing um, the um, uh, my normal computer has broken, um, so um, it's not its network adapter is broken and I can't connect to the internet. And I've gone on my old computer, but it's struggling. It's struggling. So I'm, I'm going to do the best I can. And we sort of, and, and hopefully I won't need to say very much. Um, let's start. Uh, so first of all, hello to the team. Paul? Hello. Sam? Hello. And uh, so good to see you, Kat. Hello. Good evening, John. Uh, hiya there. Right. Um, Let's go straight to... I don't know Cat. who that was. What's Me. your moment of the week? Um, it is Sally Rooney yeah. coming out against... Uh, having an Israeli company translate the latest um, book that she's published, but she gave an amazing statement. It was well-bodied. It was thought through as intelligent about, about why she was doing that. So she's a, a best-selling author who has had her previous two books translated by, I believe, this same company. And she's come out and she's mentioned trade unions in her statement uh, among other things, and, and has come to a principled and ethical point where she's drawn a boundary and said, I, 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 I am still open to my book being translated into Hebrew, but not by an Israeli publishing company. Um, and, and her statement, I was not expect. I didn't, I had no, I'd, I'd seen her in the news, I knew she was a best-selling author, um, I was genuinely very refreshingly surprised that she came out the gates with such a, a, a thorough statement. It wasn't just um, tokenistic. It, it, it was intelligent uh, and ethical. So to see somebody who has that platform, she has power, I recognise her privilege, say, I'm drawing a line and I'm not allowing this and I have the rights to this. I realise her position is powerful therefore she has the rights to say no but I do think that's incredibly significant people were queuing at midnight 
to buy her book and she's saying it's not ethical while the Palestinian people are being suppressed uh, and I don't I'm not willing to do that so that's my moment of the week and a fantastic one as well um, thank you very much for that Paul moment of the week Okay, mine's kind of ridiculous, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play it, and you can all listen and hear it, and it's preposterous. So here we go. This message is for Brian Keller, Brexiteer, and I hope you have a great birthday. This comes from your good friend Aiden. Now it's a bit early in the day, so all I've got actually is coffee, but I hope you enjoy a few pints with the lads tonight. Up the ra. <laughs> um, now, so that's Paul, that, 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 everybody that, over the age of, 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 of 50 you're going to have to explain that okay. why it's so funny right okay so Nigel Farage famous Brexiteer um, is selling himself for um, for 73 pounds I believe to um, to do a birthday message for people so someone's written in and said, can you read out this message? And he's read out this message. The very last few words there, when he said, up the ra, to explain what that means, that is up the IRA. That is what he means. He's put out a message in support of the IRA for money. And it's just preposterous. It's just the silliest thing. And like the fact that we took this man seriously and everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, he's an idiot. The guy's an absolute moron. He's managed to be duped into this really, really stupid thing for the sake of £73. Um, so, yeah, that was a message for someone for someone's birthday. Nigel Farage willing to support the IRA with his mouth. <laughs> that was a brilliant moment of the week um, uh, thank you so much Paul um, right Sam moment of the week so I had the oh uh, Sam yes I'm here John <laughs> so um, sorry I... Sam I just out of the I had the absolutely um, lovely experience of uh, spending the afternoon with a singer-songwriter called Sam Slatcher at the weekend. I've dropped a link to um, the song City of Sanctuary in um, in the conversation on Facebook. Um, and I wholeheartedly recommend you go and listen to it because it's a lovely, lovely song about, about Durham City. Um, and basically he had this, this outdoor gig, which was a a walk around Durham and we just stopped at random places in Durham, not, not random, very specific places in Durham and he played a few songs and it was just a really lovely way to get out of the doom scrolling on Facebook and, and listen to a genuinely talented uh, musician and, and have a bit of a walk so that was definitely my moment of the week. Thank you very much indeed, a brilliant moment of the week and I can't see you at all, Stuart. I, are you there, Stuart? Um, have you got a moment of the week for us? I do. Uh, my, oh. my moment of the week, I'm going to use it to do a bit of self-promoting because I've been asked to speak at a rally for jobs, paying conditions, and to end fire and rehire. 
Now I'll be I'll be speaking after just after two MPs and then before one MP. And I've never I've never spoken public before, you know. So if anybody wants to give me any advice before Friday uh, on how to speak to large groups of people, uh, it will be kindly uh, taken. Well, you all I would say to you is that you regularly speak to literally hundreds of people every week, and it's no different. <laughs> just, just be yourself and talk how you talk to us. And um, it, it'll all work out fine. You're a brilliant speaker, and you get some fantastic points across. Um, where is this? Where is this rally taking place? This is going to be at the monument. Monument in Newcastle. Uh, it'll be at three o'clock on Friday the fifteenth. Well, all the very best, and thank you for all you're doing in that respect. I've seen it advertised actually, and um, so get yourself along to the monument Friday and. Uh, Sort of remember big cheer when Stuart finishes his um, in his speech, and that's the end of moments of the week. I, I sort of I don't know whether I can give a prize. They were all just fantastic moments of the week. Thank you everybody so much. Um, let's move on. Now it's time for the big story. Um, if you've just joined us, it's time for the big story now. Can I apologise? Um, uh, my latest computer has broken. I'm on my oldest computer. It's 10 years old and uh, everybody can tell. Um, uh, so if I keep breaking up, if you keep missing things, and, and if the team gets completely befuddled by my uh, apparent incompetence, um, I'm just blaming the technology. And uh, thank you very much indeed. So let's start the big story. Um, this, this week really had to be the Tory conference. Um, and uh, let's see if we're as cruel about the Tory conference as we were about the Labour conference last week. Um, Sam, uh, Talk to us about the Tory conference. Well, my experience of Tory conference was being outside of it, protesting against it, which I really, really, really enjoyed. <laughs> and I took my megaphone with me and I led some of the chants, which were very, very simple. It was this one, there was this one. Um, Tories, Tories, Tories. Out, 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 Tories, out, Tories, out, <laughs> out. Easy, easy. Um, so I did that a lot. And it was a lot of fun. Um, but what was interesting to me was how much of a really bizarre, I mean, these things are always echo chambers. These things are always like an alternate universe. But the Tory conference was even more of an alternate universe to the point where my MP was in there handing out badges that said Tory scum, thinking she was clever. And people were walking around inside the conference center going, isn't this funny, isn't this funny? And then they were walking out of the conference center and people were going, oh, look, there's a Tory scum. And they have labeled themselves. How strange. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? Um, so there was that. Um, and also the bizarre speech by Boris Johnson, which included no policy 
Um, and once again, he brought up this thing about there being massive inequality in the UK. And you just want to grab hold of your TV screen, look it straight in the pixels and go, who has been in government for the last 11 years, Boris? If there are huge, huge inequalities in this country, that is your fault. It's nobody else's fault. Stop fighting against the, the previous conservatives, which you were a part of, you know, and and we really need to keep hammering this message home that these Tories are the same Tories that have been in power for the last 11 years. Boris is not a new thing. He is not a, a, a turning the page, a new chapter. You know, if anything, he is worse than the ones we've had for the previous 11 years because he is so driven by his own ego and not even ideology you know he's not really that ideological he backed both leave and remain and he was waiting to see which one was going to be more popular before he decided which boat he was going to jump on you know he, he's only interested in popularity he's not interested in any particular political um, aims themselves so and that's really scary for for a politician isn't it um so, and also what was interesting is I watched the Owen Jones um, documentary into the, the conference. I don't watch a lot of Owen Jones, but this was particularly funny and you should watch it because he's talking to all these people at the Tory conference and getting them to agree that the universal credit uplift should be maintained and also that unions should have more power because if they did less people would be on welfare so it's really worth watching um if anything just for a little bit of light relief but uh yeah gosh they do not live I on this planet that, um, i thought that owen jones was particularly on fire this tory conference but i've got to just challenge you on one thing that sort of um i i agree i got my head in my hands up on social media as normal but sort of i agree that the that it had no policy nothing to um recommend it whatsoever but didn't you come out thinking this guy that was a better speech than keir starmer's speech i mean keir starmer's speech i thought was dire and put you to you lost interest after the first five minutes um sort of boris johnson's speech for all it was uh, a, a, a policy empty zone. It it had jokes. It had um, it, it had passion. And I think, and I said this, and, and everybody's very cross with me. I think the ordinary man in the speak in the street will think that that he was far far better as a leader than Keir Starmer ever would be. Do you not agree that sort of um, Boris Johnson's speech as a spectacle? was really quite successful. Yeah, and we've got a phrase to describe that, haven't we? We call it having a fur coat and no knickers. You know, you've got <laughs> to have some substance behind what you say, otherwise there's no point in saying it at all. Um, so I think we've got to be careful not to just reward people for um, being a great showman, because actually what we need is a great leader of a country, and those are two hugely different things. And then he goes on holiday, of course. And then he um, goes Kat, on holiday. Um, did, I, did I hear you saying that you were outside demonstrating 
as well or, 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 or that you could talk about the demonstrations outside? Um, no, I wasn't there, but a, a lot of my friends, including Sam and, uh, and uh, my friends from the RMT and other unions were. So um, we, we were having a conversation earlier about the Tory conference and genuinely all I could talk about was the protests and the counter movements against it. That's not a bad thing. Uh, I mean, that was a wonderful thing. Uh, I, you know, they were really passionate uh people uh speak it like deepak as well the speech that that, that, that deepak did uh, among other things you know i don't remember that protest on the streets of brighton uh, a couple of weeks ago there was absolutely passionate protest uh, against what was happening in the conference and and at some point someone threw a cone at ian duncan smith and i wish they hadn't missed Um, do you think Kat, that, I mean, that what they say about these protests all the time is, is that they have no effect. You're wasting your time going on them. Do you think that the, the please excuse me asking these questions, everybody, there's questions that um, sort of need asking, and I'm quite happy to, for the answer to be, no, you're wrong. Um, but so nevertheless, do you, I mean, do you think that, that those, those protesters were wasting their time? I think if protest is just theatre and just performance, it's not worth its salt, John. But having been on picket lines, which are protests, and having been on protests, which have got results, which have changed things, not just in the trade union world that I protest in, but also the anti-fracking world that I have been very uh, active in, I have seen those results. My hourly wage has seen those results. Um, and I'm not trying to just insulate this to working people in a trade union. Uh, some of the best activists I know, uh, like Deepak, are not necessarily in work. Um, so I do believe protest changes things. I think you raise a good point about when it's just about getting on a front page uh, and having a good chant. Not, uh, that's not a dig at you, Sam. Your chants are always awesome. I have seen your very professional megaphone work. I'm not digging you at all. I'm not having a dig at you at all. Uh, but there's a difference between performance and substance, John. Uh, but I have seen the results of that substance. The thing is, it's persistent. You keep going back and you're not just protesting on the streets. You're organising as a community. You're taking part in things like this socialist think tank. You're taking part in your union. You're speaking to your friends. You're writing to your MP. You're making campaigns outside of what your working world is or your local community is. So there is a fine balance, but yeah, protest gets results. It does change things. There's the odd wanker that doesn't want to. Um, did you, um, uh, and, and again, and I'm not, uh, I'm asking the question, I'm not, Trying, trying to make any points at all. Um, Are you scared did of you, pay, so, Pardon? So did you pay any attention to anything that was going on at the conference? I mean, is this a situation where it's the Tory conference, so I am consciously going to not listen to it? Um, sort of. And, and if so, is that a right approach? Or did you sort of watch the bits on the news and just pick up what um, ordinary people um, will have I probably went more out of my conference. way to ignore the Labour conference. I cannot be dealing with it. It gets into my brain too much. 
Um, I remember reading and watching a little bit of the summary of Boris's speech. I did watch the headlines about what went on. I didn't just completely delete it, but I'm as disinterested with the Labour Party as I am the Tory party about what went on. But I do want to know what went on. So, so, so I, have, I have paid attention, but what is in my life, in my natural community, in my friends and my trade union family, has been the counter-protests, both to what has uh, gone on uh, at the Labour Party conference in Brighton and uh, and in a much bigger numbers uh, at the Tory party conference in, in Manchester. So I wasn't blocking it out, John. I was giving both things equal, slightly dull attention. That was such a good answer, it's fallen asleep. God bless you. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, what did you make of the conference? <laughs> what did you make of the conference? Um, uh, it's the usual stuff, isn't it? It's the usual kind of backslapping. I, I agree with a lot of what you said, John, around the way public perceived it. The public just want to see a jolly joker sometimes. Like they are absolutely sick of dire things. I've seen like a, a few articles where they're saying that like Keir Starmer is seen as being really glum and boring and, and at least Boris Johnson's kind of funny. So like, you know, I don't want someone who is sort of, he's not funny actually, he's just a pathetic buffoon. But people perceive him as being funny and that's up to them if they want to. I don't want someone who people perceive as being funny necessarily leading the country. I want someone with a sense of humour who's warm and in uh, and that kind of thing. You know, I do think that's an important part of, of things, but they don't really have this, but it's just this, like, kind of... I think the I think the air of the conference was very self-congratulatory. It's been mentioned in the comments, maybe, by Leanne, that... Um, you know, on the day that they announced the universal credit cut, you had Teresa Coffey singing I Have the Time of My Life on karaoke. They were having the time of their lives. They feel completely dominant. They feel completely unchallenged. Um, it's a, Hopefully pride become, comes before a fall. But I don't think they're particularly worried about opposition. I think the opposition's exactly where they want them to be now um, because they're outflanking the Labour Party on a lot of policy. Well, a lot of talk to the left. And they're talking about that social justice kind of thing. And they're able, they don't know what they're talking about. But like, it's sort of like, you know, they, they can hum along with the chorus of what it is. It's like, mm -hmm, yeah, 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 I can go along with that. So this is where the Tories are. They're trying to kind of like sing the same sort of tune as the previous Labour um, leadership and the previous Labour Party. Now that you've got this like kind of more mundane land Labour Party who don't really have any ideas um, to of how to change things. So it's interesting that they're kind of stealing a little bit of the rhetoric around um, around social justice and social improvement, whilst at the same time feeling completely confident in themselves. The Labour Party is exactly where they want to be. They're a safe pair of backup hands. And that was the whole, that was the, the feel of the conference rather than the detail of the conference. Um, did you see anything, anything announcement, any policy statement which um, caught your interest? I mean, I, I, I noticed that Carrie Johnson um, uh, gave a speech backing transgender rights and, and, and sort of 
you know, credit where credit's due. Um, whatever you may think of the, the how, how much she meant that, that was a good and important speech to, speech to make, I thought. Was there anything that caught your eye, either for good or for bad, in terms, I, I realise it was a policy-free zone, but sort of in terms of announcements, was there anything good or bad that caught your eye? No, um, I think the the thing you say about transgender rights, that's the that's the prime minister's wife. You know, that's not the Tory party conference. That's no that's not coming from anyone official. That's someone who is close to the prime minister um, having a, a marginally better opinion than many people within the Labour Party, in fact, at the moment, you know, and that's. And, and that's something that, you know, I think we should be kind to transgender people. I think transgender people need to have rights, need to have support. And yeah, good. I don't know what that looks like. And it doesn't look like Pretty Patel's going to be pushing that through. There's like quite a lot of pushback the other way. And I'm sure a lot of the people in the Tory party conference would disagree. So maybe it was quite brave of her to do that um, in many ways because she is a Tory. But, you know, she used to work for them, didn't she? But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anything else. Like it, it's the same economically illiterate stuff. Um, I think it was. What's very very interesting to me is I think people don't realise they really don't think it's their responsibility. Like there was there was a moment in that Boris Johnson said this. You know, it's not our job to fix the supply line. Well, they kind of broke it. You know, like maybe they. I think they believe in the free market. And they believe like, oh, the free market knows all, but they actually believe in a lot of restrictions as well. So they don't really believe in the free market. So they're doing things like they're doing the worst of all worlds. They're trying to create restrictions for their own purposes, whether that's anti-immigration or whether that's um, pro-huge business or whatever. But also at the same time saying, actually, we have no responsibility to make people be able to have food. It's like, well, if it's your fault for breaking, you can't have it both ways. So that it's it's interesting that that came out really, really clearly and no one is trying to pounce on that. Like, I think I'm maybe the first person I know of who's actually yeah, said no, that publicly. Um, I, I noticed that they're just washing their hands of anything um, and it came out really clearly, I thought. Yeah. Finally, Stuart, um, sort of a conference... Well, the highlight really was we've abolished the £20 universal credit uplift. I mean, is there anything not to despise about the Tory party conference? No. I mean, it's completely all awful. I mean, and the £20 uplift being removed, that's not even the worst stuff that came out of it. Like, when you hear some of the stuff that came out of, you know, the fringe events as such, where the, the, the ministers feel dead easy to talk about you know what they're pushing and you got like Teresa Coffey she's she's saying oh we're going to push more people who are in high support groups in claiming benefits back into work and these people are not working because they can't work these these are the highest levels of support and we know what Tories do to get people back into work they cut the amount of income they've got till they die you know, this is what comes out of Tory conference. It's basically a bunch of evil bastards getting together and having a party. Um, there we have, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the quote of uh, this week. 
a bunch of evil bastards getting together and having a party. Um, sort of, um, can we write that down somewhere? Uh, a bunch of evil bastards getting together and having a party. I think that sort of, so I'm, uh, they'll do well to listen to you at the monument, Stuart. Um, right, uh, thank you very much, everybody. Uh, Paul. And Paul, the question is yours. We've got three other questions. And the first one is this. Do we need um, all our Newcastle United supporters to go out and burn their shirts? Okay, so I'm going to start off. I've got um, skin in the game, so to speak, here. I am a Sunderland supporter. And probably people are expecting me to really, really go after our colleagues up the road, um, my neighbours and my friends and my... I don't think there's anyone in my family. So, you know, there's... But anyway, so, we've got, yeah. What... Um, the, the most striking comment about this, make this came from Loki, um, you know, the musician Loki. He, he said that this is made um, on Twitter... The, the the sale of Newcastle to Saudi Arabia has made more headlines than the UK selling 20 billion in arms to the Saudi Arabian government to bomb Yemen. Is the bombing of Yemen anything to do with those Newcastle United fans? I would say it is much less to do with those Newcastle United fans than the bombing of Yemen is to do with our government. And we are responsible for our government. The way people vote is that 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 creates our government so no newcastle supporter has had a vote on whether or not to be bought by the saudi the, the saudi arabian shell company which is owned well the shell company which is owned by the saudi arabian royal family or whatever it is so you know they just want to see their football team do well and you know and they want to have pride in their city and they want to go along and have a really really good time at football and in order to do that they need to have a really really rich backer and they've had an awful time under Mike Ashley who completely disrespected what is an absolutely like historic club Newcastle and I'm saying this is a Sunderland supporter they are you know they've got this massive rich history they've got absolutely brilliant supporters they don't deserve to be treated the way Mike Ashley has treated them and they're just looking for something else so do they have to do something in the politics of it someone like me who really cares about this if it was my football club that was being bought by um, by these people I would be really upset about it personally because I've cared about this stuff for a long time but the average person on the street will they think about this of course they won't. And should they think about this, they've probably got a lot of things on their mind and they just want to go on a Saturday and have a really good time and see their team win. So I would say that we collectively, as a great British public, have far, far more um, to do with our own selling of arms to Saudi Arabia than the Newcastle supporters have for who they are owned by. So I wouldn't condemn Newcastle supporters for not coming out against this because really, you know, unless you really care about this stuff like we do, 
you might not have a clue. So I've brought it up to a few people and I've seen the deflated faces when I'm saying, well, you know, look what they did to Khashoggi or, or whatever, you know, things like that. And like I kind of said it in jest and their faces sink because they've been looking forward to just something nice in their lives, something they can get behind and some sort of pride they can take and bask in reflected glory of some sort of success that may or may not come for the team. I think politically we need to be putting pressure on our own government and also it, the the big worry for me is the fit and proper test the fit and proper test was more to do with the sale of um of the tv rights than it was to do with the human rights abuses of the owners they actually didn't care whether those people were fit and proper as people they cared about whether it took, it was um going to affect their in their um financial interests so there is a lot to answer for for the premier league there is a lot to answer for answer for, for this government there is a lot to answer for for many many opposition mps who don't even care about how and they'll say oh someone's going to sell saudi arabia weapons so they can murder um, yemeni's children or whatever and i think it's absolutely disgraceful the way they've gone on but that is not the responsibility of a football supporter who wants to take their son daughter dad nana you know they they they'll, they'll <laughs> them going and enjoying a football match really it's not their responsibility and I feel awful for people who are going to try and say things maybe there'll be some chance and things like that but I think generally people will be okay about this it's not their fault thank you thank you Paul what a brilliant and balanced answer thank you so much Sam um we know that you're a football expert because you go and watch Shildon um sort of if somebody gave Shildon a shed load of money to be very, very successful, would you care where the money came from? I mean, I would, but I think, you know, I totally agree with what Paul said. At the end of the day, there should be regulators and people at the top of the tree who are making sure this thing doesn't happen. The FA, is it the FA? I don't even know. If it's them who's in charge, they shouldn't let it happen. Um, so, unfortunately, uh, it is allowed to happen. And you can understand why fans uh, are desperate for the investment that their club needs. Um, saying that, like yeah, you say, it's one of the reasons that I support Shildon and I encourage everybody to look at their little local teams and see what support they can give them because you're, you're unlikely to have these huge moral and ethical dilemmas um in such small teams um but also your your pounds out of your pocket are going to have a huge a huge impact in a small team where well i mean you know d does this investment mean that that newcastle don't need fans money anymore you know and are they going to be less responsive to what the fans want in the future i don't know enough about it um so yes it would certainly if I was a fan, I would be looking at whether I wanted to spend any more money on that team for sure. Thank you. So, to, um, uh, Stuart, um, is it this is just another example of how um, football has been ruined by capitalism? 
It, it, it sort of, I mean, the, the Sam there, quite right. I mean, I, I, I grew up watching Bradford City. I knew that what supporting a team involved was supporting them through losing and losing, through thin and thin. And, and, and sort of um, the, um, uh, sort of, is this just another example of big money wrecking the morality of the game? I actually think this is older than capitalism. Like if you go back through history and you look at the, the, the ruling classes and the privileged families and uh, the, the like, how many times that they would invest in schools for the fine arts or into sports or into certain professions so that they had access to the people who worked there, so they had influence. You know, if you look back at uh, like Louis XIV, he started that uh, Royal Academy for Fine Arts, didn't he? So that he had great influence over the people of Paris. This is what's happening now. You've got really powerful groups of people, corporations, nations, buying sports teams so that they have influence uh, in other places so that they can give themselves a really good you know, PR write-up. It makes the country look really good if they're investing in sports, if they're investing in uh, people's, you know, communities and that's what you know football teams are to people they're a community and they're so they're literally linked to where they play football so this is just people leveraging influence with money so it always was thank you and finally cat now you, you when we were talking before the the um the the show you you said don't ask me you can ask me anything except football so um uh, is this because you are just not interested in football um or you're just not interested in newcastle what what, what, what sort of expect as I'm, I'm assuming is that the complete outsider to the game how would you feel about it yeah, I'm, I'm a complete outsider. My my experience growing up was with a very small football club, York City, uh, although it wasn't that small when I was young. I had my PE lessons in their grounds, but as a teenager as, uh, and an adult, the last football game I went to was at the Olympics in 2012 with my sister to see the women's team. The, I think it was USA v Japan. I, I don't follow it. I don't care. Um I understand the sense of community in those grounds. I manage those events from people attending large events. I can understand that um, the corrupt influence of business. I was living in Manchester in the late 90s uh, in Salford, just down the road from where Man United used to used to train. So, uh, I've, but I don't follow the details. I don't want to, I'm not going to but rich, corrupt people investing in business that could make them lots of money. Sure, I'm an anti-capitalist, I'm a trade unionist, I, I care about that. And I think some of the things Paul was trying to say, is, you know, was pointing out that, that issue and saying the community uh, uh, that exists through going to see a sporting event matters and it gives something and there's a disconnect between the two. I've got some connection with the spirit of Shankly, who uh, we've got some really good RMT members that are involved in the spirit of Shankly, which are a very activist element of of uh, Liverpool football, uh, Liverpool fans. 
who set up food banks, who do all sorts of amazing things. Uh, and I think they're amazing. I just don't like football. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and I think we'll end on that, Kat. Thank you for that uh, insightful comment. But also for the, the, the way you reminded us that it's about community. And, and, and these communities, as Paul said, they, they need money to, to be successful. Um, moving on, um, well, earlier we were saying how the, the government seems to have just shed all responsibility for the energy crisis. Stuart, should the government be doing more about energy prices? And, and, and if so, what? Do you, do you remember a little while ago when Theresa May was uh, running a general election and she promised to cap energy prices and she didn't uh, i think that would be probably a good start if they could back that up and actually do that if we start from there 2017 would be all right yeah we need to look at where we get our energy uh how we making it where we're buying it we need to make sure that there's protections in places for people you know we're going into what's going to be a horrible winter for a lot of people and not just people who would you would traditionally think are going to have an awful time with energy shortages? This is like about the whole nation is going to have a pretty rough time yeah. if things keep going the way they are. You know, there's so much that can be done very quickly. I, I, I imagine we can start to action things pretty sharpish, and the government seems intent on doing absolutely nothing. Yes. Um, how could you cap energy prices to consumers without sending all the um, the companies bankrupt? Oh, well, I, I would imagine that you might have to nationalise a few just to, to get us over the hump. But uh, after that point, I think you'd be all right. Thank you. Um, Paul, um, What's your solution to the energy crisis? Um, the, the problem is that there is no easy solution because they've made so many mistakes. Like, like you know, if they were going to be reliant on fossil fuels, then then privatizing the storage of gas, for example, with, um, and outsourcing that to a German company was a huge mistake because we have um, we have really really small store. Like it's dwarfed. There are graphs. I'm sure someone, I'm maybe Tim or someone will put this in the chat. There are graphs that show how um, appallingly low the stores of gas are. Um, so if that was the way we were going to go, just like ah, outsource everything, outsource everything, wash our hands of everything, as we mentioned earlier on from the Tory, like the, the Tory policy seems to be, wash our hands of this. This isn't our responsibility. Let the market decide. The market has decided, but the market has got more interests elsewhere. They're more interested in Germany staying warm for the winter. They're more interested in Germany's lights being switched on, for example. So like, you know, this is this is the situation we're in. We need a long-term strategy involving um, clean energy. We know that, um, that renewables are getting cheaper and cheaper. We know that battery storage technology will improve massively. We need to insulate homes, which is a really sensible thing to do in order to reduce the amount we use. Because if we reduce the amount we use, then we don't need as much gas. So shortages will affect us less. You know, they, these are things that we need to stop using so much of everything 
and try to do things that aren't going to run out, try to use things that aren't going to run out. But this strategy needs to have been happening from years previously. And obviously wind power has improved a lot, but we need to get a lot more solar. We need to get a lot more storage. We can do a lot of things like, you know, the... You know, if you put your mind to it, you can do a lot of things. If there was a worldwide consensus on rather than trying to burn all the fossil fuels that we have in order to make people loads of money, if we said, actually, let's get rid of them, it could happen. People were sent to the moon like 50 years ago, you know, nearly, nearly 50 years ago. It's a ludicrous amount of time. Yeah, yeah, more than 50 years ago. It's like 50, 51 years ago, 52 years ago. So this was this was done half a century ago. Why aren't we able to do something? They did that in a really short space of time. So let's have some will. Let's have some effort. Let's make sure next, next winter isn't going to be as bad as this one. Let's make sure that we have, like, if we need backup, then we've got the storage for that backup. And let's make sure that things work for people like the customer needs to be like I'm, I'm a customer the people i'm really sorry for using the word customer because that's the way they think of it they'll try and fleece customers for as much as, you, as they can get whereas what we think is people need to have cheap energy i read that people um people who are on low incomes are facing inflation of 10 to 15 percent on their overall income because so much of their income is going to be spent on fuel now that's absolutely appalling in order to stay warm. Quality of life will go down. That means less money spent in your local economy and your local businesses. That means less fun. That means an, a, a worse time for people. This means children coming to work like school hungry and cold. You know, this is a real negative thing. Are we a civilized society or are we are are we not? And uh you know, the the version of the market we've got is not providing that. So we need to do something much more socially uh, responsible. Thank you, Paul. Um, Kat, I'm worried about um, the effect upon um, climate change. Um, sort of every time they talk about the energy crisis and the, the, the fossil fuel problem, they, they say that and it's going to be made worse by the fact that we're trying to move away from fossil fuel. And you just think that people will be saying, well, we need to stick with fossil fuels and forget this damn silly climate, climate crisis. Do you think that the climate movement is under threat um, seriously because of, of, of this energy crisis? Yeah, and I think it has done since the 80s. It was Thatcher that took out of public ownership in 1986, 1989, um, the energy industry. You know, it was Thatcher that privatised that industry. Um, so this is not suddenly happening this week. This has been happening for decades. But also, like Paul mentioned, in regards to transport, in regards to petrol. So, you know, people trying to fill their, fill their cars up. This also brings up the issue of public transport. And I don't just mean London and the tube that stops everywhere and is near everyone's house. I'm talking about public transport in rural areas or areas that aren't rural, that are very poorly connected, that need urgently right now, no bones about it, affordable public transport in which therefore that crisis would be averted. But the original sin is one of privatisation that has existed since the mid 80s. So this is no surprise, but you're absolutely right. It is a climate crisis, but a very slow burning own goal 
in that regard. Thank you. And, and finally, Sam, um, are we going to see real suffering this winter? Uh, yes. Um, and it's going to get worse because they're going to revise the energy cap in, in April. Is that that's what I've heard? Um, so it, you know we could have a very difficult spring because there are times in the middle of the year that people need the heating and, and other things too. One thing that hasn't been mentioned yet, which could really change the game and which is a policy change that the government have the power to do right now, is to allow people to sell energy to each other. At the moment, if you've got um solar panels on your house if you create excess energy you either have to store it in a battery or you have to sell it back to the national grid and the national grid have to buy it off you at a price that they can sell it back at a profit we can't sell it to our neighbors right we should be able to have every church every community center every bit of disused housing covered in solar panels to alleviate fuel poverty in this country, we could um, sell uh, energy to our neighbours at about a third of what it currently costs, because uh, that's that's how much you uh, that's it could be cut by a third at least. Um, and and while that doesn't solve all of the problems, there are some places in our country that are still heated with oil. There are some pl pl places where. Uh, they're really dependent on gas. Once you reduce the cost of electric, you reduce the demand for gas, and hopefully that makes sure there's plenty there for people who actually need it and for our crucial industries who actually need it because there are industries that still need that kind of fuel. So I think community energy partnerships is, is the only way forward. And why won't the government do it? Because it's going to upset their friends who are shareholders of the energy companies. And making an awful lot of money out of all this. God bless you, Sam. Thank you. I am continually astounded by how brilliant all four of you are. Thank you so much for your answers. Last topic, everybody. And um, sort of, and if you're like me, listener, um, you won't know what on earth this is about. So I'm hoping for enlightenment here. Cat. Talk to me about the Pandora Papers. So I can, I can put it in really simple layman's terms, which is lots of rich people being allowed to fiddle the books and those people being exposed in quite detailed information. And, and, and it is, I don't believe it comes as any surprise to most people that rich people find ways to fiddle the books. But what the Pandora's Papers have shown us, it's an extensive amount of information, is how they do it and who has done it. Uh, and it's not everyone that's done it, and it's not every way that you can do it. But I think for me, wh what I wanted to focus on was, was whistleblowers, so the people that give this information out. Uh, and, and we can look at um, the really famous people we know that have done that, Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, uh, Chelsea Manning, and Reality Winner. Reality Winner doesn't get a a lot of a mention, but she got one of the harshest uh, prison sentences for, for the release of unauthorized, Amer uh, 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 unauthorized information in American history. Uh, but what we look at are not things that are necessarily illegal. 
and and that is the thing that is the most shocking and it and it's not because you know what Cop- capitalism is absolutely rotten to the core but the fact that we have very significantly high powered politicians and business people being able to furrow away furrow away their money through a vast system of loopholes which is nothing new you know tax havens aren't a thousand miles away from us the city of london is a tax haven you know guernsey is a tax haven it's not far away places the the way the financial system works is fundamentally corrupt but it has been legislated or unlegislated to the point where a lot of the things that the pandora papers are telling us not all of them are just about legal things that you're allowed to do if you're rich enough and if you have enough power. And I think that's the takeaway. You don't have to read a 4,000 word essay in The Guardian to understand that. It's rich people are corrupt and they can employ other corrupt people to file and fiddle away their money. And, and our conversation as socialists and as people that aren't those rich people in power is why, but also how do we stop it? How do we stop those people being able to do it? And, and, and we do have to focus that argument on tearing down a, a capitalist system. We have, as we were talking about earlier, a Tory conference that turned around within a week, badges that said Tories are scum. They're good. They're good at twisting on their heels. And capitalism is good at twisting on their heels. I remember the whole never kissed a Tory thing six or seven years ago. They had T-shirts out at London Pride, you know, saying those things, how rich people do things. That's what we pay attention to. I don't think you need to spend three days reading all of that documentation, although some people will, and I don't knock them for it, but rich people fiddling things, that's what we need to focus on. Thank you, God bless you. And what a lovely message. Um, uh, Paul. Did, did, did you spend hours reading all of that documentation? No, but we did do a special about it on Saturday night where we had experts on to explain it. Um, so, like, uh, it, it's very much like the the Panama Papers, this. This, this is a, a deep-level corruption. It's just a bigger leak. It's kind of... It, it's funny because some people think it might be a little bit of a, a red herring almost, uh, and... Um, and like they've they've released this big leak, but there's something else going on. There's something else that we need to be worrying about. And there's like, a, you know, where's this leak come from? It's come from a number of sources. Why has it been released now? Uh, but it seems to have not captured any public imagination. And I think it's because, you know, it's a really, really deep um, conspiracy fact that written into law are all sorts of things that protect rich people's money. Everything in this is legal. There are lots of people who are doing criminal things and they are hiding their money using legal means. And the reason those means are legal is because they can afford to have lawyers who write these things into law. They code capital. They code. So like, you know, your, your house isn't, capital until it's coded into law as being capital you know you've got to write a law in order to make that a thing or a field but now you can like 
called an idea into capital or you can code like all sorts of different things so there's a i'm, I'm going to say the words code of capital again because there is a book called that um which is really really worth listening it's a hard hard read but it's um it's it's very very good um and someone please put in the comments who it's by it's by um a german american lady uh, ladies a woman sorry um and she's uh, absolutely fantastic katarina pistor i think um and uh anyway that's what's going on at the moment people are coding like the lawyers are coding these really immoral acts making them legal that's the situation we're in people don't seem to care because people seem to have accepted that our leaders are corrupt we need to offer them an alternative to this we need to offer people like this this idea that communities are going to work better and referring back like linking this back in with um Tory party conference the Tories are kind of like the difference between a socialist and what the Tories believe both of us believe that people should be doing things for themselves the difference is people they're saying like we've got all the power we've got all the money you do, do things for the for yourselves and we as socialists are saying they've got all the power they've got all the money that money needs to be shared between everything and then we'll do things for ourselves they want to keep the control with none of the responsibility. We want to give all the responsibility and the control to people. That is what this is exposing. We have no control over our lives. This money is being hidden all over the world in completely legal fashion. And it is absolutely terrifyingly disgusting. Thank you. Sam... No, no crisis of no, no riots on the street. Have we just reached outrage exhaustion on uh, the corruption of the capitalist system? Well, like Paul said, I think people just expect politicians to be corrupt now. You know, uh, even me. You know, <laughs> I people. Uh, I go out for my lunch, and people who know me like take my money. And then look at me and then go, do you want a receipt? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm intentionally going to not take a receipt off you. So you know that I am not claiming this on expenses because that's what they think we're all doing. We're all doing everything we can to, to cream off as much as possible for ourselves. Um, and uh, I saw a meme the other day, actually, and it was like, good doctors was loads and then bad doctors were a few and, and good men were lords and then bad men were a few good police were lords and bad police were a few and then it was like bad politicians was like loads of people <laughs> and good politicians was few people it's just become and it's a it's it's a joke it's it's national uh, national um like sense of humor that you know our oh, politicians they all lie isn't that funny ha 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 it's not funny it's not how actually most of us um, do conduct ourselves. Um, but also the other side of it, which is, you know, it's not that people aren't outraged. People are angry, but they're also working three jobs on a zero hours contract while yeah. trying to look after their kids and keep a house over their head. And, and it's just they're too busy to do things that I do and frivolously go to Manchester on a day out just to shout at some Tories, right? <laughs> so I think there's that side of things as well, just because they're not out on the street doesn't mean that they're not very, very cross. Thank you. 
Last word, Stuart. We're out of time. Ooh, uh, I think if anybody sits down and looks through it, they will find stuff that makes them incredibly angry. Like we, we've just seen 20 quid taken off the most vulnerable people in our country and the Conservative Party co-chair, Ben Elliott, uh, the secret company that got £120,000 of tax credits given to them. You know, you've got, you've got to dig through a little bit and just find out these things that are going to stick you in the chest and pass that on to somebody who might do something with it. God bless you. How do you do other examples like that? Or was it just one example? There's, there's yeah. so many. I could go days and days and days and days and days worth of evil, crooked people and businesses. Thank you. Um, perhaps it's something we need to know more about, eh? Um, right, people, um, when you come back, I'm going to give up with this connection and I'm going to leave, leave the team. Uh, thank you, team, for being so patient with me. And I'll try and get um, things uh, up and working better for next week. But uh, uh, you've been so nice to me, and thank you. Thank you, listeners, for being patient as well. I, I, I was unable to see any comments. Um, so, so, so Sam's got a load of things that she'll be wanting to go through. And, and I'll be seeing you next week. In the meantime, you know how this program works. We're going to spend five minutes listening to No Passaran, and then. Um, I'm going to listen with my wife to the team as they have a more less structured discussion about some of the issues they want to. So thank you, team. You are geniuses. Thank you, listeners. Um, and sort of um, you're obviously discerning people to listen to this team. And uh, we'll see you in five minutes. Bye bye. Hello. Welcome to the after show. I am knitting and you can't stop me. Um, I've really enjoyed to see the, see, look, my words aren't working. I've had a very long day. My words aren't working. I am sorry. I'm trying my best to keep them in the right order. Um, I'm really enjoying the outpouring of, of love for Stuart from Dan Lewis over on YouTube. <laughs> I've been told you're a very nice man, uh, Dan, uh, but I do appreciate some attention myself. So if you'd like to say some nice things about me too, that would be great. Uh, <laughs> also, I have a picture ahead. of me and Dan lovingly playing chess at the World Transformed, which is quite nice. To, like you know, I should maybe Thank share you. that at some point. It's beautiful. Say, Mate, that's that's yeah. peak middle class yeah. labour shit. Come on now, <laughs> playing chess at the World Transforms, easy well. now. <laughs> Read, were you also reading the Guardian? Definitely not. Eating, Definitely we not. Eating quinoa. <laughs> I'm only <laughs> <laughs> oh dear well yeah, yeah i mean if it's possible for you to share that photo that'd be great but <laughs> otherwise we'll just have to imagine it um <laughs> um dan dan lewis says dan lewis middle class he obviously does not agree um we don't know because we've not seen the photo we've just got to imagine what it's you not, look like it was it was it was a very uh hungover game of chess <laughs> um yeah there was just happened to be chess there so, Dan, my you... love and solidarity to you. My judgment was purely in the format of sarcasm. Yes, <laughs> yes. 
and I'm, my knitting is ruined because I've got my yarn caught in the wheel of my office You were just, chair, so. you were just annoyed at the prospect of middle class. Uh, uh, I know. <laughs> she says, "Well, knit, knit, knit." Of, wh- knit, of which I, I basically am one. So you know, throw your shit at me, I'll take it. Um, Jake says he can confirm that Dan is not middle class. <laughs> that's great well okay that's how we do it as long as we've got people to second that motion we know that it is correct we had some great guesses at what was wrong with john's internet uh jake said is john trapped inside a vitamin c tablet tim said john's in a yellow submarine uh jake says he's auditioning to be the next homer simpson Dave said he was broadcasting from the inside of a bottle of Mountain Dew, which is this week's Socialist Think Tank sponsor. <laughs> that was my favourite. We, we don't have one. such sponsors. <laughs> no, we don't. But you can join Socialist Think Tank hey. for free. And if you choose, you can also make a monthly donation to the amazing work that mostly Paul and Laura do. <laughs> Um, oh, there are others, and, and there's Rochelle, and there's James, yes. and there's all the team behind the scenes, and the different socialist think tanks. We are most certainly a team. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But thank you so Ruth much, Samantha. Said, he is broadcasting from inside a yellow highlighter. Ruth also, Ruth really got into it. <laughs> Did John's takeaway curry explode when he opened it tonight? Is he practicing for a big bird audition, or has he had an accident at a glow stick factory? <laughs> I thought he was um, signaling that he was joining the Lib Dems. Oh no! I like the fact that Sam, you've basically got a pint of John in your hand because it's the same yellow colour. <laughs> This is where John is broadcasting from. That's how John is being represented in this conversation this evening. (laughs) And the other other, Dan says John's bit spent too long in the green room. Neil said, I think John's computer's not working. Someone sold him a lemon. There's a a good Neil joke, isn't it? Good Neil joke. Did him a pint of John, yes. Um, we are not sponsored by Segway, Neil. We are sponsored by no one. Um, great. But what else did people say? Um, Dave Murphy says, Stuart, your speech will go fine. But whatever you do, just don't say up the ra at the end. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or do and see what happens. <laughs> 73 pounds, I would consider it. <laughs> 73 pounds to say up the raw, do you me? Mm. What a guy. Well, how much was Boris getting paid for his Telegraph columns? I can't even remember now. Chicken okay, so yeah, we've got the photo of me and Dan now anyway. So there's oh, there's right, me, me and Dan playing chess. You can't see it, but it is in the... Um, I can there see it, it is. Here. Just for absolute accountability, just so you can now rip the piss out of me, my iPad is sat on a crate of Coke Zero. So just <laughs> come at me with your middle-class jokes. I deserve them. Who plays chess side to side like that? I think you it's both a, said it You know, it's, it, it, we were just very close. It was a busy weekend and, you know, yeah. <laughs> there, are, there are four sides to that table. There's no need for that. 
Unless Laura was there on the other side taking the photo. I was very hungover, Leanne. That was, um, yeah, it was a pretty bad one. But it was a good one, but it was a bad one. <laughs> Laura had to drive for me. so. Yeah. Also, I'd I want to dig That's myself right. out. Playing chess is not something that we shouldn't not do that makes us sound like shit people. It's quite a fun game. You get to use your brain. It yeah, is. There's lots of working class people who have become very good at chess. Soviets were great. My, my, at my it. granddad taught me chess. He was very definitely working class. It wasn't anyone with money. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah, dig me dig me out of my earlier judgment. I'll take it. Okay. Um, it was a photo opportunity, says Chris. Who won the <laughs> chess game? Said Jake. Who won? Yeah, it was me. You won. Yeah. I practice against children quite a lot, so yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm, I teach in a special school, and uh, I'm unbeaten. So <laughs> Actually, you know that's pretty pretty good because um, I mean I'm not saying that all autistic people are good at chess, but my my boys are good at chess. Um, and and some of them might be going to special schools. So it's not necessarily yeah. as easy as it might sound. We've got some really good um, strategic brains. Sometimes. Yeah, there's some there's some really there's some really good players actually. Like I'm just teaching them though, so I, I play against them properly, so that when they do beat me, which is inevitable, then it will be real. And they learn. You learn a lot by losing in chess. We've digressed a lot now, haven't we? Wow. Oh, <laughs> there were some really good comments earlier on about the uh, taking uh, privatizing energy um, mm. in the in, in the mid to late eighties, and I realised, you know, that the, the rest of the people I'm on this panel with uh, are, are from those coalfield areas. I'm from. I was born and raised in North Yorkshire myself, so not spitting distance, but my accent is a is a different story. But I think that 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 history does matter. The fact that we were one of the first countries in the world, in the Western world, to take out of public ownership in, in uh, 85, 86, uh, our energy industry to the situation we have today. And also we've got COP26 about to happen. Uh, and we have people queuing up at petrol stations at different, not everywhere in the country. Um, my, my parents live in North Yorkshire. My sister lives in Nottingham. And I live just outside of London and there's very different situations, which means it's cultural. Um, but, you know, I, I think it matters. It's not just about what's happened in the last five or 10 years. It's about what's happened in the last 30. And that's that a really a good point. A yeah, no, that's a really good point, isn't it? What, what we need to find a way of articulating to people is what happened to our communities when the mines closed was an example of a really unjust energy transition and now we're going into another energy transition and we have to make sure that is just and fair um and one of the great ways to do that around here is to utilize the uh, dormant mines and use those to create mine water geothermal energy which can be used to heat houses um and and hopefully make gas obsolete in the future you know we really need to be finding ways more ways to move away from gas uh there is no such thing as clean gas and the more and more of it we dig up the more extreme consequences things like sh 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 
fracking there we go <laughs> are gonna have um I mean, we had 10 years of this is slightly less dirty, you know, and funnily enough, it was Greg, Car Greg Clark, who was the business, uh, the Secretary of State for Business at the time, who is still about, he's been out on the news today, but at the time when I was protesting it in my parents' village in Kirby Misperton in North Yorkshire, he was the one that was like, oh, I don't think, I'm not sure. He actually came out on side on it. You know, so 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 the argument of slightly less dirty has to just be put. It has to be put to bed now. Mm, that's true. Do you want to answer Chris's question, Paul? Mine. Oh, I'll tell you the, uh, my plans. I. So he said, if the boundary changes happen and Wingate becomes part of the new Easington and Seam constituency, what are your plans, Paul, going forward? Stay with Sedgefield uh, or move over and bring your positive activism. Um, to the new constituency well, i won't have a choice because like the boundaries will have moved so i don't have a choice about staying in sedgefield sedgefield because i wouldn't live in sedgefield anymore i have lots of friends and comrades in easington um so like i live right next to it i grew up in that constituency i lived there for many years so i won't have any problem finding people there and i work with those people anyway um I don't know. I don't really have any personal plans for myself as in terms of ambition or anything like that to do anything other than try to help people. So I'm more into kind of trying to get things done than trying to do things for me. So I guess I guess I hope that answers your question anyway. And don't worry, Sedgefield, because if you do lose Paul, guess who you're getting? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because as the boundary oh god i really oh, as the boundary commission proposals stand i would be moving into sedgefield Woo <laughs> um so it is interesting to us however i have tried to initiate many conversations with members of the public about the boundary review um suggestions and they really don't care I, they could not, I mean, Jesus, I, I had, a, I had a, a parish council meeting which went on for three hours and there were sort of 40 agenda points and one of them was the Boundary Commission and they literally went, does anybody care about this? No, let's, let's spend another three hours talking about fly tipping. You know, people really don't care. I can give you a count of that though. So my mum was a parish councillor in uh, North Yorkshire, in a village in North York in Rydale, uh, and and all of the parish councillors in that area were voting for the particular way of doing things in North Yorkshire. It's the biggest county, um, and all of those parish councils uh, councils voted for one thing, and lost. Um, yeah. You know, and it's not like all of those parish councils were one political swaying or another. They were quite a combination but they were they were all very locally focused you know and i think what i came and you know north yorkshire is a place i was born and raised in it's not something i've just heard of it's where where i came from um uh, you know and i i think about how the structure of local democracy is worse working and particularly like john's question earlier about the performance of it you get to say but actually no you don't because we get to ignore you mm. It's and it's nice to see, you know, Chris seems like a quite a regular person who contributes quite a lot. And I realise that he's got a different 
political persuasion to everyone, but it'd be nice to hear his answer to to that same question. How, you know, how does he think that democracy is impacted by these by these changes for for, for the good or, or or for the worse? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Let us know what you think. Go on then, Stuart. You had your hand up. Borders are a capitalist idea. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Does it matter? So are passports. Passports yeah, are a relatively new passports. thing. Yeah, yeah, they're a relatively new thing. We think they're completely normal and have been there for the all of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're relatively recent. Have I told you the story about basically how Sheldon invented time? I mean, invented I thought time. that was like Bath and Wells because they've got a really old clock, but that's as far as my brain goes. Mm. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure it's existed for all of time. No, you see, universal time, where London has the same time as Edinburgh, didn't need to exist until the railways came along and you needed a railway timetable. So <laughs> if it wasn't yeah. for trains, which were officially invented here, no, they weren't. I know they weren't. But Sheldon was very important. And, and without Sheldon, there would arguably not have been a stop in the Darlington Railway. And then there would maybe not have been the type of public railway transport that we see today. And they would not need, yes, Neil knows what it's about, um, because obviously before then, they could just sort of guess what the time was based on where the sun was in the sky. Yeah. They had local time, didn't they? Yeah. See, this breaks my brain a little bit, because I know London Underground uses universal time as opposed to GMT, which means when the clocks go forward or the clock go back and you're on a night shift, it's an absolute nightmare, because half the stuff that tells the time on a station corrects itself and half of it doesn't and I've never understood why it was this thing and not the other so I've just learned something new also Tim Dredge knows people in my parents village which is tiny there's like 80 people live there Tim 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 we definitely know people in common (laughs) yeah Tim knows everyone and everything yeah but Kirby Misperton come on now Uh, yeah, Chris. Chris agrees with the cat. There is no need for the boundary changes. It's a ridiculous proposition. Oh, and he's 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 put some stuff in there about flat pack democracy. If anybody is interested in that, um, thanks for replying, Chris. That's great. Uh, Stuart's been asked for an opinion on something. Hang on, did ah, I see it? it? Was it from? It was from Dan. Um, he'd be interested to hear Stuart talk about it. What was it? I'm scrolling back, so um, it was about Nadine Dorries declaring war on councils that close libraries. Um, <laughs> it, oh, when she was speaking about how a, a, a library pass is like a gateway to another world, isn't it brilliant? <laughs> it's a chance to change your life. And a... Oh, oh no, no. we lost him. Mm. That's like capitalist broadband again. <laughs> or how passionately Stuart feels about library cards that he just froze after his <laughs> statement. Oh no! Well, we, he will come back. He will come back. There'll be something happening. Um, yeah, 
after all my hard work over the break as well to get this actually working and looking all neat. Oh, Stuart's back. Stuart's back and moving. Con- um, continue, Stuart. Hey. Where did I get up to? Nadine Doris being... Um, um, passport, it, passport to a different world. You said world. things yeah. like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a pass. It was an opportunity to change your life. You know, a library card. Except they've shut down all the libraries, so that the actual library card's worthless. So there's no opportunity. They've taken away all the opportunity. No one can change their lives through reading books anymore. It's a load of garbage. You, you liars and you cheats and you're just trying to rewrite history. You know, to think that you're going to give us something new because you're not. You've taken loads away. You've taken 800 libraries away. And if you give us back 100, we're still 700 down. You know? But again, it's more of the Tory government washing their hands of all of the bad things. And and we even we talked about it um, last week about uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, the haunted pencil from the 17th century, talking to an esteemed friend from Disabled People Against Cuts um, and saying, oh, no, the government didn't do that. The government didn't close youth centres. The government hasn't taken your job, knowing fine well that it's the policies of his government that made local authorities do those things. Um, And this is another thing. These evil local authorities who are withdrawing funding from libraries so that they can do frivolous things like, I don't know, look after adopted children. (laughs) You know, that's the reality of it. Collect the bins, yeah. Keep the keep the streets free from rats and rodents, and allow people to have some basic sanitation. How dare they? You know, when unfortunately the local councils have been forced to make really really difficult decisions about these things. You know, um, I'm glad that um, other people. Um, are, are coming to understand that now they, they've got to carry the can for these things now that they've they've won certain local authorities <laughs> you know it's going to be a lot harder than they think it's going to be um, people need to condemn the cuts uh-huh. Absolutely. When, when there's a court an emotion says there's a court condemn it don't water it down it's pretty serious I first met Paula Peters on the picket line for against driver only operation on National Rail, which isn't where I work, by the way. I work on London Underground in 2015, 2016, you know, and she was absolutely then in 2015, 2016, absolutely adamant about the reality of what cuts are. Therefore, she understood the reality of assistance being removed from a train. And, and it was from then on that I got involved with Deepak and I love them with all my heart. They are, they are absolutely wonderful human beings who we shouldn't just applaud, we should be standing beside. Her passion and her integrity and the things that she has to go through, despite all of that activism, all of the things she goes through in her daily life, should be absolutely inspirational to us. She's somebody who I continue to learn from. The last, I was at the Kill the Bill March at Parliament with her and she was still giving me a, a wonderful heart-filled earful, you know, so, you know, um, I don't know. I love, I love Deepak and we should keep on listening and standing beside and acting with. 
Yeah, we, we totally love them agree. on Socialist Think Tank, don't we? And uh, been on a couple of times and I'm sure that will continue. Um, yeah, yeah, those links. I'm getting a Deepak t-shirt through the post. Do it. I've got I've got one and it's baggy, but I love it. So I wear it <laughs> a night shirt or I tuck it in and take it to demos. Yeah. They'll, they'll want us to talk about the audio riot. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Please do, Stuart. So, yeah, they've got a campaign going on. Uh, I think that it's hashtag audio riot. Everything to do with it's there. The the attacks are coming thick and fast against disabled people. I mean, they they are literally in the the worst position I think they've ever been uh, with the government. We need to do everything to, to support them and show solidarity. Yeah, and no bones about it. We should make no excuses. We should just get out there and stand beside them. And when they call out, we should show up. And they're brilliant with saying we recognise people can't always physically show up in spaces. So therefore, here's this hashtag. Here's this Zoom meeting. Here are these things you can do. Um, and, and we should just do it. We need to turn up however it is that we can. Uh, we just need to do that. Yeah, and uh, Neil said that Jennifer Jones would be a great guest. Um, please, if you've got any contacts with anybody who you think would be a great guest for Socialist Think Tank, let them know. Um, let us know. T tag us in a tweet to them, you know, or or just message them and say, hey, this is a really great show. Why don't you message them? And I'm sure they'll they'll give you some airtime. We really want to give these excellent campaigners. A platform um because we know that the people who want to oppress us will get a platform handed to them on a plate and the people who are working hard like us to um bring a little bit of equality into the world need to work a lot harder to get that platform so please do hook us up <laughs> um, speaking of t-shirts baggy or otherwise that t-shirt you sent me cat is absolutely amazing um the rmt palestine one although it is a large woman's t-shirt and i'm an extra large woman i think so um <laughs> well, so yeah universal fit i'm slightly biased to this because i designed it it's, but, a, it's, um, a, lo it's, it's a lovely t-shirt but, but, but by the miners gala it. by by the miners gala i will be a large woman and I'm going to wear that. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I can dig, I can try and dig you out another one. Uh, no, no, it's, a, it's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm committed. I'm commit. I'm going to commit. I've got some dumbbells. Uh, no, no, so, yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I, I will be in that by the minus night, But I thought, oh, okay, I'll just, everyone knows I'm RMT anyway. I don't need to advertise it. I nearly want my Star Force Stations badge, but mm. um, which I can send you in the post. You're more than welcome. Yay. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for that. Um, with my access to further things, which I keep on forgetting to send you, Samantha, um, there's another question as well uh, from Jane Strange. What did everyone think of Edwina Curry's ridiculous comments about the universal credit cut on Brexit? Bre Brexit? Breakfast TV. I didn't oh, see that. Oh, gosh. No, I didn't see that, but she also did an interview on the radio, which I assume was the same incoherent bollocks, um, because it was saying, you know, it was really condescending. Um, there was an example of a woman saying, oh, like a, a woman really who you could tell was at the end of all of her means saying, look, 
I'm trying my hardest. I'm working. I've got young disabled children. I can't work any more hours in the day. And Edwina Curry going, oh, come on. You're not really going to be destitute. You'll just have to manage your money better. And you'll just have to... And, and well, maybe you should aspire more and ask for a raise. You'll be surprised, she said truly like somebody who's never had to do this in their life she said you'll be surprised if you go to your employer and say to them I'm thinking of leaving and um unless you give me some more money you'll be surprised how much they will and like you know they will say bye-bye then (laughs) right (laughs) these jobs are not negotiating with individual employees about their terms and conditions and pay they are saying this is what's on the table and if you don't like it you can leave Okay, and they are saying, if you take another day off sick because you've got COVID, then we are going to sack you. And they are saying, if you have another day of parental leave because your child is ill, then we are going to sack you. That is the reality of the the, the labour market at the moment. We can't just... <laughs> it's like, oh, I think you should just go and ask if the supermarket that you work for can allow you to work from home. <laughs> Based in no reality at all made me so cross (laughs) well so isn't isn't like what's her claim to fame edwina curry wasn't wasn't it to do with salmonella and uh and john major just sounds like a meal i really don't want to eat to be honest paul (laughs) yeah um basically yeah the, the, there was one point where edwina curry i remember this from being a child i was a very strange child so i was like seven in 1988 and um she uh she warned the british public that most of the egg production in the uk was affected with salmonella which made all the egg sales plummet um mm. so yeah that she's very associated with salmonella and there were rumors of her having an affair with john major Hmm, exciting times. I mean, that would make a very exciting uh, episode of a spitting image that I'd probably watch. <laughs> for, the, for those people old enough to remember it the first time round, which I do. Yeah, My favourite was Desmond Tutu. He's very bouncy. <laughs> oh, apparently yeah, they both admitted the affair. Apparently, oh. so that's not an alleged thing. That is that they okay. did it. Well, if you're John wow. Major, it's anything to make you seem more interesting, isn't it's it? It's fucked I mean... a great P, basically. <laughs> um... You told me I was allowed to swear. Yeah, yeah, you can swear. Just because yeah. the show's like regulated now, so you can't say things that aren't true. But interesting so how we talk know. about people's, those kind of things, isn't it? As opposed to the politics. Because John Major's always seen it and was literally perpetrated in spitting images as this, as this grey nothing but actually policies were made in his tenure uh, and policies are made in Boris Johnson's tenure. Policies were made in David Cameron's tenure in which we're like, oh, his wife likes graphic design and really nice wallpaper. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, they trivialise it, don't they? Go on, Stuart. Like, the, the, the political errors are kind of broken up by, you know, Thatcherism, Blairism. And all these people, you know, there is no, you know, is there going to be a Johnsonism? Is there going to, you know, there was, there was no majorism, was there? 
No. You know. But Theresa May began the footing, not a very good one, on Grenfell. What's happened with that? What has happened? What has happened with Grenfell? What has happened with fire regulation? What has happened with the people post Grenfell who 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 have been able to afford properties? Not that the not that the occupants of Grenfell could, who who have uh, you know cladding as a as a real issue. That's that that's an issue that affects um, various different uh, types of people in which the government is doing absolutely nothing about. Be interesting to see what Gove does because he's be, he's housing minister now, right? Or he'll do something horrible because he always does. Um, yeah. What? What? Um, the w- majorism, I think, was PFI. I think. Good I call, think that yeah. was one of the one of the legacies of John Major was I think that he started doing PFI contracts and perhaps the first academy school and the beginnings of the anti-trade union laws. Uh, the very very beginnings, which obviously came in a different iteration, it, much it, later on. Yeah, it was interesting because like, obviously Thatcher put a lot of the trade union laws in, but it's interesting that like a lot of what Major started, Blair continued. Mm-hmm. Completely. And then, it was and that then kind of bland centrism Cameron thing. Finished off. Blair was the yeah. middleman. Yeah, uh, Leanne saying wasn't like... PFI. Blair P- Blair basically put rocket boosters under PFI, but I believe it was I believe it was under the Major government that PFI began. I feel like Stormzy should be quoted here on several levels because there was his Brit Awards, which was his comment about Grenfell, and then his Glastonbury, which was fuck Boris, fuck, fuck the government, which I have a T-shirt of, and it's one of my favourite T-shirts. <laughs> T-shirts are truly the most beautiful form of communication. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Laura, who isn't with us today because she's she's had a very busy day, um, she had a T-shirt on that said "Riots, not diets." That's it. I like it. That's a good sentiment. Um, Neil I like said, my, my favorite RMT one. Just says, "If provoked, will strike." My mum hates it. I love <laughs> it pieces. <laughs> it's got a really cheesy snake. Or I mean, it's the worst design T-shirt in the world. Oh, God. I love it with my whole heart. If provoked, we'll strike. <laughs> That's great. I've also messed up my makeup because I am not a grown-up. And is I that because my t-shirt is interested. that good? It made you mess up my makeup. <laughs> I'm crying. It's so it's okay. beautiful. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, Right. I'm going to call us to a close because we're not going to go on for a full hour prattling on and, and stuff. Uh, we're going to say thank you very much to Kat for stepping in at the absolute last minute to cover for, for Laura so that she could have a well, well-earned well rest. Uh, thank you, Stuart, for being, as Dan says, beautiful. Um, Dan says he wants to know when you are getting your own show, uh, so I want you to meditate on that, please. Uh, <laughs> uh, Paul, thank you for being the absolute uh, glue that holds everything together. We literally couldn't do without you because it's magic. Uh, thank you to John <laughs> for managing to broadcast from the planet Mercury um, despite <laughs> all of the uh, issues that that caused. And thank you to all of our viewers for watching today. If you've stayed with us this whole time, well done you. Um, Remember that you can catch up on all of the shows on Facebook, YouTube and Twitch. And also you can find uh, 
socialist think tank on Twitter. In fact, any so any social media network you can think of, type socialist think tank into the bar. And if it doesn't pop up, let us know and we'll make sure we get on there next. And remember that you can become a member of Socialist Think Tank for free. And also all of the episodes are also available as a podcast because we appreciate that your time is precious and you might want to do something else while you're listening to this solid truth that we are giving out for you for free. (laughs) Okay then, see you next week at nine o'clock on Tuesday for Political Unmuted. And thanks to you, Samantha, as well. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Hang on, I'm not quite ready for the... And now I am.